Well, we are continuing our series in Colossians today. This is our fourth week in this book of the Bible, and we'll be here uh, two more weeks after this one. And this book is about the supremacy of Christ, and today we come to chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, uh, we'll also show those on the screen here in a few minutes. We've learned so far in this series that Christ is supreme over all of creation, We've learned that Christ is supreme over the church, which he founded. We've learned that Jesus is God. We have seen uh, uh, Paul write about the supremacy of Christ as the source of our salvation. We've seen that he is the uh, source that we're to turn to for guidance in life. In short, what we have seen uh, to this point and that we'll continue to see in this book is that Christ is to have the preeminence in all things. In other words, everything is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And in chapter three, Paul goes on making this case about the supremacy of Christ by emphasizing the changes that Christ makes in people. Here's something that we know for certain from the testimony of scripture. When you come in contact with Jesus Christ, and if you truly receive him into your life, He is going to change you. It is simply not possible to open your heart and life to Christ and stay the same as you are. Christ changes us. If we say that we know Jesus and our lives don't change, there is valid reason to question our claim of knowing him. Now, we're all work in progress Uh, You know, in in this life, living in the present evil age that we do, none of us are going to become fully mature followers of Jesus. But if we know Jesus, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we are going to see change in our lives. And so occasionally we need to do an inventory of our lives, and we need to ask ourselves, how am I different because of Jesus? What has changed in me since I came to faith in Christ? And we ought to be able to see some changes. Those around us ought to be able to see some changes in us. And so today I want to look at Paul's writing in Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and see what Paul tells us about the changes Christ brings to people's lives. And so I've titled today's message simply, What Christ Changes. If you would, follow along with me as I read this. It is fairly lengthy. Uh, but I think that's okay in church. So, uh, uh, so concentrate real hard and follow along as, as I read. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death... Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What Christ changes. Verses 1 through 4 let us know that Christ changes our thinking. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In the previous chapter, chapter 2, Paul had written about baptism. And so what he is saying here is that Christian men and women are to rise from the waters of baptism different than who they were. What's the difference? Well, one of the differences is our minds are to be set on things above, not on earthly things. When we've been regenerated and when we've gone into the waters of baptism and symbolically walked out what happened in our hearts through faith, the trivial and temporal things of earth are no longer to hold our greatest attention or no longer to be the source of our our greatest passions, the focal point of our greatest passions, but rather the eternal things of heaven are to hold our greatest attention and are to be the focal point of our passions When heaven dominates our thinking instead of earth, our values change and we become better people. When heaven dominates our thinking, we're more concerned with serving than we are with ruling. We're more concerned with giving than we are with getting. We're more concerned with forgiving than we are with avenging. When heaven dominates our thinking, we see every person as someone that God loves and Christ died for, even the really, 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 really difficult people, which makes us more gracious and compassionate and patient and gentle toward our fellow man. When heaven dominates our thinking, we, we can value physical exercise, but we know spiritual discipline has greater value for our lives than does Uh, physical exercise. When heaven dominates our thinking, when our minds are set on things above, we know it's more important for our kids to have a relationship with Jesus than it is for our kids to graduate from the best schools. When heaven dominates our thinking, we endure difficulty in life better because we're not counting on this life as our one shot to live the good life. Christians are to be people who view everything against the backdrop of eternity. Christians are to be people whose hearts and minds are fixed on heaven. There's been an attitude that's creeped into much of the church in recent times that has suggested that focusing on heaven makes people of little earthly good. There's been this sentiment that has suggested that we just need to focus on the here and now 
and let heaven worry about heaven. Just, just let heaven take care of itself. Christ will return when Christ returns, and that's all the thought that we really need to give to any of that. But Paul and the Bible, and therefore God, disagree with this. Christians are to be people, according to Paul, the Bible, and God, whose thinking is rooted and grounded, dominated by heaven. Thinking about everything against the backdrop of heaven doesn't make us of no earthly good. It actually makes us much better earthlings. It makes us better people. And this is one of the changes that Christ makes. When Christ comes into your life, your thoughts are no longer grounded in trivial and temporal things, but rather in eternal things in heaven. So Christian, are your thoughts fixed on things above? Or are your thoughts entirely fixed on things of this earth? Are your values determined by heaven or are your values determined entirely by the things of this earth? Is your hope in heaven or is your hope in the next promotion or the next house or the next vacation? Christ changes our thinking. Has he changed your thinking? We ought to be able to see evidence in our lives that our thoughts are centered on heaven rather than earth because that's the change that Christ makes to those who have faith in him. Verse 3 tells us that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And in verse 4, Paul writes of, quote, Christ who is your life. The early Christians understood baptism as being enveloped by Christ. The act of baptism wrapped them in Christ. They came up out of the waters of baptism with their identity and their values completely consumed, completely overtaken by Christ's identity and Christ's values. Baptism still holds this understanding if we appreciate its full meaning. When we come to Christ in faith, when we walk that out symbolically in baptism, we are being wrapped in Christ. Uh, our identity and our values are being consumed, taken over by Christ. And so in light of this, Paul references Christ as Christ who is our life. As Paul saw it, for Christians, Christ is the most important thing in life. In fact, it actually goes beyond that when he uses this, uses this phrase, Christ is our life. Christ changes our thinking. Our minds are focused on heaven rather than earth. Our lives are wrapped in Christ. Christ is the most important thing in life. Christ is our life. Has Christ made this change in you? If not, you need to let him do that today. So Christ changes our thinking. And then verses 5 through 10, let us know that Christ changes our desires and Christ changes our actions. And these verses let us know something else. They let us know that we have to cooperate with this change. Christ changes us, but we have a role to play. Let's see what verses 5 through 10 say again. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, 
anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge in the image of its creator. So we see in this that we have a role to play. Christ changes us, but we have to cooperate. Paul says, you must rid yourselves. You've got to do it. You've got to rid yourselves of some things. You, you know, many people want to pretend that the way our lives change is that, is that Christ just takes over against our will and, and somehow he just makes us do what's right. And that if he doesn't do that, then we're not really responsible for how we act. Paul says no to this. We must rid ourselves of some things. We have to choose to act like the people that God has made us in Christ. Let's consider a few of the things that, that Paul says we're to rid ourselves of. We're to rid ourselves of sexual immorality, lust, and greed. We have a, we have a battle to fight. Christ changes us, but we have to choose to allow that change to happen. We have to cooperate with that change. Paul feels so strongly about it that he uses this phrase, you have to rid yourselves of sexual immorality, lust, and greed. You have to make a choice. You have to decide. You have to decide to do these things. He also tells us to rid ourselves of anger, rage, malice, and slander. We've got to choose to stop giving in to these things. If you're finding yourself giving in to anger a lot, and I say this as someone who can relate, it's an indication that your mind needs to be focused more on heaven. It's an indication that you need Jesus to be more the center of your life than he currently is. It's an indication that you need more of God's spirit. You seem to like this as well as the first service. These, these amens are overwhelming me. Stop, stop. Now there is righteous anger, but if you're having the unrighteous kind, here's what it tells us. It tells you, you need more of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Adele. <laughs> Adele is always reliable once I complain about no amens. If you find yourself slandering others, or you find yourself quickly flying into fits of rage, Paul says you've got to rid yourself of that. You've got to stop doing that. Too often we dismiss these, these sin nature things that rise up in us, and we say things like, well, that's just who I am. I'm a hothead. Or that's just who I am. Every once in a while, I'm just going to tell people how it really is. And here's the truth. If you're in Christ, that's who you were without Christ. It isn't who you're to be with Christ. And here's why we should never embrace anger and malice and rage and all of these type things as just who we are. Because when you do that, you're embracing your sin identity rather than your Christ identity. 
You're embracing who you were instead of who Christ has made you. Here's a revelation for us all. Christ isn't full of anger and rage. And so if you are, you're embracing an identity that Christ is trying to deliver you from. You need to embrace your Christ identity. And you need to rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, and slander. Now Paul also tells us to rid ourselves of something else that many of you aren't going to want to hear. Maybe you've done okay to this point in the sermon and you've been able to say it applies to everybody else, but not you. But maybe this one's going to have you in view. In fact, thanks to Facebook, I'm pretty sure it does have some of you in view. Paul says we are to rid ourselves of filthy language. I'll just let that sink in. I'll remind you I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. It's in the Bible, which means God agrees with it. More than he agrees with it, it's God's word. It's God's message to you. Rid yourself of filthy language. I am reasonably confident of this. If we were to go to dinner with Jesus, or if we were to go golfing with Jesus, I'm almost certain that we wouldn't do a lot of cursing. Okay, maybe you would. (laughs) Maybe you would. I don't know what he's talking about. I talk just like I always do. You might as well see the real me, Jesus. It's just who I am. I don't think we'd do that, would we? I'm guessing we would find a way to refrain from telling the latest dirty joke we heard. I'm 100% confident that we would figure out a way against all odds not to drop the (laughs) F-bomb. Christian, your language matters to God. Now, I'm I'm no prude. I'm really not. Some of you might think I am, but I'm not. And, and, And I'm a firm believer in this. Christians don't need to and really should not act indignant every time they hear crass language. I mean, that's how most of the world talks. I mean, it's okay to, to like act like you've heard it before, okay? You don't, have to, you don't have to run in fear every time somebody says something bad. I'm not even convinced you necessarily have to flip off the TV every time you hear a bad word. You, you know, like, this is how people talk. You, you know, it's okay to know this is how people talk. But for ourselves, let's put at least a little effort into laying aside crass language, filthy language. I I say this with compassion for your struggle. I'm familiar with your struggle, but really, Christian, we need to watch our language. Increasingly, I can tell no difference between Christians and non-Christians in how they talk. And, And many Christians now wear their crass and filthy language as a badge of authenticity. 
and even spiritual maturity. Where what it actually reveals about us is that we lack self-control. And that we lack God control of our lives. Christ changes our actions. Christ changes our speech. And let me remind us all of this. And, and I don't know exactly, you know, like how to work all this out and apply all of this, okay? Because, you know, I, I, I say a lot of casual words that, you know, like I didn't think that much about. But let's be reminded that the Bible tells us we will give an account to God for every idle word that we speak. God cares about our speech. He changes our speech. At least if we allow him to. Paul says that in baptism we have put on our new self and that now we're to live like people who have actually put on our new self. It, it happened, that's what baptism was. Now, now live like you actually were baptized. That's what he's telling us. And so we're to rid ourselves of all of these things, sexual immorality, anger, slander, filthy language. We are to put on the new self, which is hidden in Christ, for whom Christ is everything, and for whom our minds are, are set on things above. So Christ changes our thinking, Christ changes our actions, and then we go on in Paul's writing and we find that Christ brings unity among those who were divided from each other. Christ brings unity out of division. He heals divisions between people. Verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Christ destroys divisions, barriers between people. T.K. Abbott points out the various divisions that Christ destroys, the various barriers that he destroys. He destroys the barriers which come from birth and nationality. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. He destroys the barriers between the cultured and the uncultured. Scythians were the ignorant barbarians of the ancient world while, while the Greeks were the aristocrats of learning and he brought them all together in Christ. To, to try to make that more understandable for us, just, just think Pataskala and Outville. He brings us together in Christ. The, the barbarians and the cultured together in Christ. Just joking. We love our members from Outville. It's just whoever named your village did, uh, like, they just did you a disservice because Outville, I mean, it just begs to be made fun of. So I try to routinely. <laughs> he destroys barriers between classes. Slaves and free became one in Christ. Think of that, unity between slaves and free. Of course, divisions come from all sorts of causes. They come from differences of opinion on politics, different ways of handling conflict, different viewpoints on parenting. There's just innumerable sources of conflict, causes of conflict among people. Christ unites those who used to be divided. Christ unites those who are divided. Who are you divided from right now? 
If you belong to Christ and they belong to Christ, division cannot be accepted as the status quo. Christ wants to bring unity where there is division. I'm increasingly concerned by evidence of more and more Christians coming into conflict with each other and basically saying, you go your way, I'll go my way, we'll leave each other alone, don't bother me, I, don't, I won't bother you, and we'll just leave it at that. Now friends, this may be necessary for a time. And it's always okay to agree to disagree. But to leave yourself permanently divided from another believer is not the way of Christ. Jesus brings unity out of division. And you ought to give yourself to seeking unity and ending division. Christians need to be peacemakers with each other. And on that note, let's consider the next thing we learn from Colossians 3. Christ changes us into compassionate and forgiving people. I know this passage hit me square in the face this week. And I think a lot of us need to see it doing the same thing. Christ changes us from people who lack compassion. Christ changes us from people who are unforgiving into compassionate and forgiving people. Do you see evidence of more compassion and forgiveness in your life because of Jesus? We should. Here's what verses 12 through 15 say. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So let's look at at the things we find from these power-packed verses. Notice first that Paul appeals to who we are to persuade us to act consistent with who we are. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. The reality that we are God's chosen people is to motivate us, remind us, and motivate us to live up to who Christ has made us. Because we are God's chosen people, we are to clothe ourselves with some things. Notice again, the responsibility falls on us. Clothe yourselves. We have to choose to live like who we are to be in Christ, who we have been declared by Christ to be. And what does Paul tell us to clothe ourselves with? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Compassion, we take into consideration the pressures in other people's lives that may set them up for acting the way they act. We don't excuse it, but we take it into consideration and it it modifies, it changes, it moderates, it tones down the way that we respond to them. Humility. We consider our own shortcomings before we allow ourselves to become too indignant about someone else's faults. Patience. 
patience. And I, I think this one's really, I mean, they're all important, but, but I just felt special emphasis on this one, patience. We're willing to continue caring for someone and loving them, even if they are challenging for us. Even if they have a challenging, by that I mean annoying, personality. Even if they did not treat us right. We don't write people off because we get a glimpse of their brokenness. Listen, friends, this this is a hard truth. But how we're doing with compassion, humility, gentleness, kindness, and patience tells us an awful lot about how we're doing with the Lord. If we are unable to be compassionate toward others, if we're quick to cut people out of our lives because they disappoint us, if we're quick to judge someone while never considering our own faults, Paul says to us, Paul says to you, because you belong to God, start acting the way you're supposed to act. Start being who you are supposed to be. Stop excusing yourself and writing people off and being impatient with people and acting like you don't have faults when actually you have your own boatload of faults. And whoever I was looking at when I said that, it was totally <laughs> random, like, like no, nothing was intended. If that isn't enough, Paul goes on and says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Christian, we have a responsibility, a responsibility to forgive each other. When you get in conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, you have a responsibility to forgive wrongs that have been done to you, and you have a responsibility to not write people off, but to work toward peace and reconciliation. No, you don't have to be best buddies with everybody, but Christians cannot be people, Christians are not to be people who refuse to reconcile. Christians aren't people who refuse to work on relationships. One of my biggest disappointments over the last several years with Christians, both personally and just watching things play out in the lives of other people, is the number of Christians who seem to think it's okay to walk away from a conflict with a brother or sister in Christ without even bothering to try to reconcile. All because they're not willing to do the hard work. And actually, when you get right down to it, it's often because they're not willing to forgive and not willing to seek forgiveness. We are called by Paul. We are called by the Bible, which means we are called by God to forgive each other. And then if that isn't enough, Paul drives it home even further and he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Romans 5 tells us that Christ died for us while we were his enemies. He sacrificed for us. He he, he showed ultimate love for us 
while we were actively aligned in hostility against him. How can Christians, of all people in the world, withhold forgiveness from anyone when we have been forgiven by God for offenses that rightly deserved eternal punishment? Christ changes us into peace-loving people. Peace-loving people work for peace. Peace-loving people work toward reconciliation when they've wronged someone. And peace-loving people work toward reconciliation when they've been wronged. Are you a peace-loving person? Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. We're one body. We are called to live in peace with each other. We are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And so you, Christian, are you willing to work at maintaining peace? Are you willing to work at recovering peace with your brothers and sisters when you come into conflict? Christians are to be peacemakers. God changes us into peace-loving people. And friends, we can tell a great deal about our walk with the Lord by whether or not we're concerned with maintaining and recovering peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ changes our thinking. He changes our actions. He brings unity among those who were divided. He changes us into compassionate and forgiving people, changes us into peace-loving people, and then Paul lets us know that he changes us into thankful people. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. People who are thankful have a lot easier time putting on these virtues that Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with. They have a lot easier time with it. You know, it's easier to be compassionate when you're thankful for the compassion you've received. It's easier to be patient when you're thankful for the patience you've been on the receiving end of. It's easier to love peace when you're thankful for the time that person made peace with you or you're thankful that God has made peace with you. When you're thankful, you're always remembering how much you've been forgiven. And so you have an easier time forgiving others. When you're thankful, you remember the times people were patient with you and you have an easier time being patient with them. Thankfulness fuels a lot of good things in our lives. God changes us into thankful people, but just like with everything else, we have a role. We have to then choose to be thankful. As with everything else that we've touched on today, we have to choose to live consistent with who God has declared us to be in Christ. And just like everything else we've touched on today, we can tell a great deal about the condition of our walk with God by how thankful we are. People who have encountered Jesus and are walking close to him are thankful people. Are you thankful? Uh, Sometimes I just get so upset with myself because I'll, I'll be praying about something. I'll ask God to do a specific thing for me. And he does it. I never say thanks. Just go on about my way as if God owed me that answered prayer. 
Thankfully, sometimes I'll remember a week, two weeks, three weeks later, oh, I prayed. God answered. I never said thanks. Stupid, stupid. Thank you, God. We're to be thankful people. Now look at verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We've seen Christ changes our thinking. We've seen Christ changes our actions, brings unity, makes us compassionate and forgiving people, makes us peace-loving people, makes us thankful people. These are all changes that Christ brings. And now in verse 17, Paul summarizes all of this and he tells us that Christ changes absolutely everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. If Christ changes everything and we belong to him, we've encountered him, we say we love him, we say we're walking with him, if that's true and he changes everything, then at least something in our lives ought to be different because of Jesus. You cannot encounter Jesus, receive Jesus, belong to him, and stay the same as you were. Everything about you won't change all at the same time. We'll never, we'll, we'll never reach perfection, but we ought to be able to see something different about ourselves because of Jesus. Do you? Is there anything different about you because of Jesus? If you have to answer that you don't see anything different, you need to know that the person most hurt by you not surrendering to the change that Christ wants to bring in your life is you. It's you. A lot of this today may have sounded like, you know, it's like, you need to do better. You need to do that. You need to do that. But really the motivation behind all of this is that you're hurting yourself more than you're hurting anybody else. Anger hurts you more than the person that you're angry at. Unforgiveness hurts you more than the person you won't forgive. Having earthbound thinking hurts you more than anyone else. And I know much of what's been shared here today is challenging. I read what Paul wrote and I didn't know how else to present it. It's a challenging passage. It's challenging because it needs to be. Paul, Paul says that we need to, to put on these things. We have a role to play. And here's what Paul's essentially saying to them and us. He's saying, you're letting yourself off the hook far too easily. You're, you're not doing what you ought to do. But let me encourage you today. Christ who changes everything really can change you. Amen. He just needs a little cooperation from us. He, he, he needs us to make some choices to cooperate with what he's doing. But he really can change us. You don't have to stay angry and unforgiving and focused on trivial things. You, you don't have to stay entirely focused and obsessed with the things of this world that are passing away instead of things that have eternal value. Christ who changes everything 
can change you. No matter how long you have been the way you are right now. And so my appeal to you and my prayer for you, for all of us, for me, is to stop living below Christ's best for us. We have put on Christ in baptism, and now we are to live like it. And as we start to do that, Christ will empower more and more the change that we need in our lives. What Christ changes is everything. And so let him change what you know needs changed in you. And he'll do it today if you'll respond to him. So why don't you stand?